thank you for your goodness and for your love. We thank you, Father, that you're all sufficient, that you inhabit the praises of your people. So, Father, you're here in our midst to meet every need, whatever that need might be. So, Father, we lay that before you today. We humbly come before you and we acknowledge you as our Lord and as our King. We acknowledge that, but through you, all things are impossible to us. But through you, we can do all things. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence, we receive that which is needful and we thank you for it. Oh, Father, we pr praise you today. We bless you today. We magnify your name. And Father, we thank you that we don't just simply worship you, but we are worshipers of you. Every moment of every day, may our actions, our activities be expressions of worship towards you to acknowledge who you are. So, Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't he wonderful? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Worshippers of God. Amen. Amen. We can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. In his presence. No place like the presence of the Lord. In his presence we find fullness of joy. In his presence we find every need being met. He's all sufficient. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? Glory to God. Hi, Joe. Welcome back. Ready to run a lap? Okay. Hallelujah. Joe had a knee replacement. Up and around, doing good. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. In his presence, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. He's just so wonderful. So wonderful. You know, one of the reasons why it's so important for us to worship him, I really believe in the midst of his worship, when we worship him, and we worship him in spirit and truth, He's truly able to reveal himself to us in a way that is not revealed in any other way. We know what the scripture says ultimately. We get to know him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by his word. But there, there's, there's something about coming into his presence. You know, it's, it's like anyone you can know about somebody. But when you come into their presence, you get to know that somebody in a way that you, you can't just by a letter or by hearing about them. You know, and that's the thing about when we come into the very presence of God, we, we come to know him in a way that we, we don't in any other way. You know, <clears throat> the title of my message sounds like kind of a contradiction of what we just went through, but the root cause of sin, and so we're, we're talking about worship, then we're going to talk about sin, but, you know, <clears throat> sin is something that all of us have to deal with. And it's an interesting thing, the root cause of sin. One of the answers to sin is experiencing his presence, coming into his presence, getting to know him as he truly is, because what I want us to see this morning as we talk about the root cause of sin is I want us to see that the root cause of it is unbelief. 
You know, oftentimes when we think of sin, we think of an action. We think of an activity. But really, sin is, the root of it is, is unbelief because in some area, we don't believe God like we should. And so unbelief rises up. Why, why does an individual steal? Because they don't think their, their need is going to be met in any other way. Why does an individual use drugs or alcohol? Because they don't think they can get, that, that the joy of the Lord isn't going to be enough for them. So they have to find that satisfaction in, in some other area. Why do people get into the activities that they get into? Because they don't believe that God is sufficient, is enough. Now, we understand why the world would believe that way, because they don't have relationship with him. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't know that God is able to supply and meet their every need. But as, us as believers, our greatest struggle is still the struggle of belief. Because we don't think that God is going to be big enough to take care of our need, whatever that may be. Whether it be a social need, an emotional need, an economic need, a physical need, whatever it may be. And so the root of that then is, is unbelief. It's not the actions that's really the sin. It's the unbelief that leads to the action that's the sin. And so let's look at, <clears throat> begin by looking at the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. <clears throat> and I want to look at the 8th and the 9th verse. And then he, Jesus said, <clears throat> and when he, referring to the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus speaking, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in him. And so the issue is that they don't believe. We need to believe. We need to come to that place where we put our trust, where we put our confidence in him. There he's talking about the world. He's going to convict the world or he's going to convince the world of their sin. But ultimately the sin that the Holy Spirit's going to convict them of is the fact that they don't believe in Jesus. Now, we believe in Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen. But do we believe that he is going to do everything that he said he was going to do? You know, the, one of the greatest hindrances that we have in our Christian walk is not fully believing the completed works of Jesus. Fully believing that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do for us so that we might walk in the victory that's been made available to us, that his finished works aren't really finished because oftentimes we think there's something that, that we have to do to see it completed. Well, there is our part. Our part is to live by faith, to walk by faith. That we labor, the Bible says, we'll look at this a little bit later. The Bible says we labor to enter into his rest. And so the labor that we have is putting our trust in him because everything around us tells us we need to trust in ourselves. We need to put our trust in this thing, that thing, the other thing. Rather than resting and knowing that Jesus has done it all. Now when we're talking about rest, we're not talking about just sitting back, taking a nap. It's an active rest. It's an active rest from the standpoint is that we, we, we labor to enter into that rest or we labor from the standpoint of learning what Jesus has fully done for us and then we act accordingly. Why do we act accordingly? Because we believe him. If we don't believe him, then we begin to act according to the flesh. We begin to act according to the world. We begin to act according to the things around us. And so it's unbelief that truly leads to a life of sin because we don't put our trust in him. You know, Jesus is our perfect example. Amen. And let's look at his baptism. 
Turn with me to Matthew, the third chapter. <clears throat> do you know what the number one thing the enemy wants to do in your life, in my life? Wants to get us to doubt that we are who the Bible says that we are. To get us to doubt that we can do what the Bible says we can do. To get us to doubt that we can live the life that the Bible says that we can live. And so everything around us, what it's wanting to do is it wants to tear down the scriptures. You know, <clears throat> probably the number one attack in the world today is the attack on the Bible. To get us to doubt the Bible. And we see that from the standpoint, not only from the world, because, you know, the Bible separate from any other, any other work, any other Bible, people want us to doubt it or they, they don't want us to read it. They want to uh, outlaw it. You know, but what's sad is in even so many of the churches today, so much is given to disprove the Bible and make excuses for the Bible and tell us there's another way other than the Bible. Jesus, the Word said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father but through Jesus. There's no other way to the Father but through the Word. And so obviously, the number one attack would be on the Bible to get us to doubt that Bible. And what's sad is, in, in, in many so-called Christian circles, they... they, they they argue about the, the Bible as to whether certain portions of it is tr are true tonight or not, or whether it's for today. You know, the Bible actually tells us, tells us to avoid vain arguments concerning the Scriptures. The Bible says it. We need to believe it. And that settles it. But pastor, it doesn't make any sense to my mind. It's because it's not written to your mind. It's written to your spirit. The thing about the Word of God, when we get it into our spirit, man, all of a sudden in our mind it begins to make sense. Because we've begun to renew our mind and we no longer think as the world thinks. Isaiah, it says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. That's old covenant. I've been born again. His ways have become my ways. His thoughts have become my thoughts. Because I've renewed my mind. We've renewed our minds according to the word of God. And so that's where we put our confidence. But in Matthew, the third chapter, it's the 16th verse. Jesus has just been baptized. And it says in the 16th verse, and it says, And when... He had been baptized. Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so God spoke from heaven. To the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What does the Bible say about you and I? The Bible says about you and I that we are sons of God. Whether you're male or female, God has male and female sons because in the Greek there's no gender there. And so we're the sons of God. That's what the Word of God tells us. But you know what the enemy wants to do? The world wants to do? It wants to attack that and convince you that you're not really the Son of God. Because if you're not the Son of God, then you don't qualify for experiencing and accepting all the benefits of being a Son of God. Amen. Amen. Aaron, my son in the physical, 
has a key to my house. Which he lost. Which he lost. <laughs> Could have gone all morning without knowing, really helped my message. Thanks, Beck. Yeah. I'm willing for my son to have a key to my house. <clears throat> but as far as I know, the rest of you don't. Because, it, do you still have a key? No. He has a key, because he's my son. There's a benefit to being my son. You get a key to my house. There ain't nothing in it, but you get a key to my house. We're sons of God. And so as a son of God, we get the keys. We get the benefits. And so what the enemy wants to convince us of is that we don't, the key isn't any good. You've lost it. No, we haven't lost anything. We're the sons of God. We have the benefits. And so, Father said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well placed. Now, we just simply go to the next chapter. And we know right after Jesus' baptism in water and the Holy Spirit, and God spoke over him, he's led into the wilderness. And it says in Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards, he was hungry. And then the tempter came to him. Notice, the tempter comes at your weakest point. When you feel like you're not prepared, when you've not been focusing upon him, whatever it may be. So here Jesus is. He's been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting. And it says in his, he became hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, now notice what he attacks. If, see, if always implies conditions. If you are the son of God. What did father tell him 40 days before? Said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Here we are 40 days later. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. He's in a weakened state. And what does the enemy say? If you be the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you be the Son of God, prove it. You know what? We don't have to prove nothing. We don't have to prove nothing. Well, if I was the son of God, this, this wouldn't be happening in my life. You don't have to prove nothing. Your being the son of God isn't dependent upon the circumstances that you're encountering today. Because if you question whether or not you're a son of God, all at once, the word isn't going to be working here. Some type of infirmity tries to rise up, sickness tries to rise up in your body. Well, if you be the Son of God, you shouldn't be sick. Well, my being a Son of God isn't dependent upon whether or not I'm sick. I'm a Son of God because I was born into the family, not just for your information. Because I'm a Son of God, by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. Therefore, sickness, you're not welcome in this body. Because I've been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of my testimony, I declare that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, sickness and disease has no right to my body. But notice what it boils down to. It comes back to, do I believe that I'm a son of God? Yes, I do. 
Well, how do you know? Because I was born again. Because the Bible says, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I shall be saved. I believed in my heart, I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I am saved. And therefore, I live that out in my life. But every attack comes against and tries to tell us we're not who God says we are. So the temptation that the enemy comes at us with is unbelief. Tries to get us to believe that we're not sons of God. Gets us, tries to get us to believe that we're not entitled to the blessings of God. You know, because apart from Jesus, we're not entitled to anything. But because of Jesus, we're entitled to everything that he's promised to you and I. And so once again, the enemy, he wants to get us into unbelief. He wants to deceive us into thinking that we're not who the Bible says that we are. Listen to this in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 15th verse. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all things, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. What was Jesus tempted in, in all things, yet without sin? To not believe. To not believe. You know, <clears throat> Jesus in the garden. Why did he sweat drops of blood? Why did Jesus cry out to Father God and say, Father, if there be any other way, remove this cross from me. Why did Jesus do that? Can you imagine the bombardment that his mind was encountering at that particular time? Trying to convince him that nothing was really going to happen, that his death was going to be in vain. But notice what Jesus did. He put all that aside. He was tempted to not believe. But he put all of that aside and he said, But Father, not my will. Your will be done in my life. Now, I don't believe that that's a prayer that we ought to be praying all the time. Because we need to know what the will of God is in our life. Because Jesus spelled it out to us in the Word. The Holy Spirit, through the Word, has given us God's promises to you and I. So we know what the will of God is. But daily, in our lives, we have to choose. We have to choose not to doubt. Because unbelief bombards us from every direction. You watch the news, unbelief comes against you. You listen to the neighbor, unbelief is probably going to come against you. Wherever you go, unbelief is trying to come against you. For what reason? To get you to doubt who you are in Christ Jesus. But you know what? It was God's will for you to be saved. It was His will for you to come to the knowledge of truth. It's His will for every man, woman, and child to come to the knowledge of truth. And so that's His will in your life. And so, Father, Your will be done in my life. Your truth be manifest in my life because I choose to follow you. And so the point of that whole passage is that Jesus had the same doubt and unbelief come against him that tries to come against each and every one of us. You know, in Pastor Becky's word concerning worship, you know, that's one of the avenues that we can use to, to, bombard, to, to combat the bombardment that comes our way. Where we just begin to sing unto him. We begin to exalt him. We begin to declare how wonderful, how magnificent he is. Well, pastor, I'm not sure that would work. You know, I've shared it with you before. I know it works. It's worked in my life. But you know what? I've also seen it work in other people's lives. 
going to the prison. How many of you know that's not the greatest environment to be in? Many times the guys will come into those services and you can just see them down. And at a certain point when I see that, I just begin to exhort them. I begin to declare who they are in Christ Jesus. You know, because worship is declaring who God is. It's magnifying Him. And when we worship Him, we magnify Him above our circumstance. And the next thing you know is you can just feel their attitude begin to change because they begin to look at it differently. And you know what? That same thing happens in our lives. You know, we're a, we're a mobile society. We're always driving somewhere. But you know, sometimes you just need to shut the noise off. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about that radio. You need to just shut it off. And you need to just, at the top of your lungs... Just begin to declare who God is. Now don't take your eyes off the road. Don't close your eyes because you can worship him with your eyes open. Begin to just, just declare who he is. You know, other drivers will think you're nuts, but that doesn't matter. But you need to just begin to exalt him and lift him up. We need to begin to acknowledge and recognize who he truly is in every area of our lives. In Mark, the ninth chapter, he says something really profound to us. In Acts, the ninth, or did I say Acts? I meant Mark. Mark, the ninth chapter, and the 23rd verse. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, If you can believe. What's everything around us trying to do? Trying to get us not to believe. Notice the if once again. It's a condition. If you can believe. All things. Not most things. All things are possible. To him who believes. That thing that looks like such an impossibility to you? Believe. Believe what the Word of God says about that situation. Believe what the Word of God says about your condition. Believe. Because he says all things are possible to him who believes. And so I don't know about you. I want to be, I want to believe, be a believer, not a doubter. I don't want to yield and give in to all the unbelief that tries to come our way. And so what we begin to see then is unbelief itself is, is the sin. And that sin of unbelief, what it does is it leads to actions that go contrary to the Word of God because we don't think that the Word is enough. It keeps us from reaching our place of rest in Jesus. When we can't believe, when we don't believe, it keeps us from reaching that place of rest because there's always turmoil. There's always a struggle because there's always this that I have to do or that that I have to do. I just can't relax in him. And as Omega said, we all have busy schedules. But you know, the enemy wants to get us so busy that we focus on the busyness and we get our focus off of him. This is 40 years ago when I was at Christian Outreach School of Ministries and there was a guest speaker that came in and he spoke to the leadership of the school and the students and so forth. And, and at that time, this was 40 years ago, and things have increased exponentially since then. But he had this word, and he says, guard yourself 
against the spirit of busyness. You know, at the time it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but over the years I, I, I've seen what that busyness does. And you know what? Oftentimes it's good stuff. Amen? I'm not talking about things that are insignificant or things that are just simply wasting time and filling space. No, I'm talking about good stuff. But you know what? We've got to guard ourselves against that, that spirit of busyness because it'll want to keep us so busy we don't have time for Him. And you know what? The moment that we don't have time for Him, we focus upon everything around us and the busyness begins to dominate our life and we have no rest. And it no longer is, I've got things to do. I have things I have to do. I have, I'm overwhelmed. And you know what? That's not where God wants us to be. We don't need to be overwhelmed. We need to guard ourselves against that. In Romans, the 14th chapter, and the 23rd verse, and it says, and he says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not of faith is sin. Now the issue here isn't about whether you eat or what, whether you don't eat. You know, because Paul here is addressing the Jews and, you know, you can't eat certain things and you can't eat certain things. And so what Paul's saying is, you know, some of you feel like you can't eat anything, but you're condemning those that do eat. Those of you that do eat are condemning those that don't eat, saying they don't have enough faith. And he says, that's not the issue. Unbelief becomes the issue. And so we don't have to condemn anybody else, but what we need to do is know within ourselves that we can rest. Now, if you want to eat weeds and seeds, go for it. But don't condemn me for eating steak and pork. And I won't condemn you for eating weeds and seeds. It's not the issue. The issue is faith. Why are you eating the weeds and the seeds? And why am I eating the beef and the pork? Am I doing it out of faith? Or am I doing it out of fear? Am I able to do it and enter into rest? Or am I feeling condemned? See, what, it, what he's talking about again is he's talking about what do you believe? And what don't you believe? Unbelief. What is it that's dominating our lives? Because the last part of the, the verse says, for whatever is not of faith is sin. Now, the sin that he's talking about isn't the activity. Because what he's saying is, whether you eat or you don't eat, it's not sin. The sin is in the area of belief. Are you eating and you believe you shouldn't? Then don't. Or are you not eating and thinking you should? It's what do you believe? You know, the Bible makes an interesting statement that people have taken so out of context, it's just, I mean, I'm not going to get into it today. But the scripture that says, this is New American Standard Translation, says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. You know, and so some will take and say, you can do whatever you want, it doesn't matter just won't profit you any. There, there's an element of truth there. But the other part of it is, is can you do it in faith? Uh, you know, according to the scriptures, all things are lawful. You know, so I guess if I want to shoot somebody or beat somebody up, it's okay, it's lawful. 
Well, can you do that in faith? Now, if you're a soldier fighting on a foreign land, you can. Well, all things are lawful and I wish I had this, that, or the other thing, so I'm just going to go out and take it and it doesn't really matter. Jesus forgives me. Well, can you do that in faith? No, you can't. Because you can never operate in faith contrary to the Word of God. You might be doing it out of ignorance, but you can't do it in faith. And so he's not talking about the action here. He's talking about whether or not we truly believe. We have the same thing in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And so what Paul is addressing here in Galatians, he's talking concerning the Judaizers that they'd come down to Galatia and they said, your, your salvation isn't enough unless you've been circumcised. And Paul's saying it's not about circumcision. It's not about whether or not you've been circumcised. Whether it's, it's about what do you believe? It's about an attitude of the heart. Do you believe that Jesus truly paid the price? And so <clears throat> he says later on, if you have been, great. If you haven't been, great. Doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Because unbelief will come against you and say just the opposite is true of where you're walking. It tries to get you to switch your direction, your path. Not because God's told you, but because man or circumstances have told you. You need to live by faith. Faith is based upon the Word of God. Going back to Hebrews once again. In Hebrews, the third chapter. And I'm going to begin in, in the 12th verse, and then I'm going to drop down to the, to the 18th verse. But in verse 12 it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. He calls unbelief evil. You know, we go all the way back to the Old Testament. We go back to Numbers when the children of Israel refused to go into the promised land because they were giants in the land. And they came back with a majority report and said, even though it's a land that flows with milk and honey just as God said it was, there's giants in the land. The cities are fortified. We can't do it. And so they chose not to go in. And the Bible says that they accepted the evil report. The negative report. And that evil report, that negative port, report, was a report of unbelief. Joshua and Caleb came along and they said, let's go. Let's take it. God said we can do it, we can do it. But they refused. And it's interesting. Of the adults of the day, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that entered into the land of promise. Everybody else died in the wilderness because of unbelief. Because of the evil report. And so here it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. In departing from the promises that God has given us in his word. That's an evil heart and it's an evil report. Dropping down to the 18th verse. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What's the number one hindrance that keeps us from entering into the blessings of God in our life? Unbelief. What is the number one issue that 
keeps us from living and walking the holy life that's available to each and every one of us. Unbelief. Because we believe the world has something to offer us that Jesus doesn't. And so we think we're going to find we're going to find it in the world rather than finding it in Jesus. Hebrews 4.11 says, let us, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Let's be diligent to enter that rest. You know, every one of us, and I think I can say this without speaking out of turn, every one of us, from time to time, there arises something in our life that challenges us. We wonder, is God going to get me through this? And what we have to do is we have to be diligent. We have to be determined that I'm going to get back into rest. What does that mean? That means oftentimes what we have to do is we, we, have, to, we have to separate ourselves from those circumstances for a moment and take out the Word of God and allow it to begin to speak to us, to build us up once again, to be able to pray. In Jude 20, it tells us to pray in the Spirit, pray in the Holy Spirit, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Because every one of us from time to time are challenged. And every one of us from time to time, we have to get aside, look to the Word of God, pray in the Spirit, build ourselves up so that we can meet those challenges that come against us. Because when we're in that weakened state, that's when the enemy comes against us. You know, we could have read on there in Matthew, the fourth chapter, where the enemy said, if you be the Son of God, if you be the Son of God, speak to these rocks. And do you know what Jesus did? At that very moment, the first thing that came out of his mouth was the word of God. But you know, it's an interesting phenomena for the word of God to come out it first has to have been put in. Amen. And that's why Joshua says that we're to meditate in the word day and night. Why? To get it on the inside of us. Because even that which we don't need at that particular moment, there's going to be a time. The easiest time to get hold of prosperity is when your needs are met. The easiest time to get a hold of healing is when you're not sick when you're well. And so that's why we need to receive what the Word of God says, not just in the bad times, but in the good times. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. Well, how do you know when you've entered into the rest? Well, I don't know how to explain it other than you get the... You know what I mean? You all have heard my, my taxi ride in Sao Paulo, Brazil. When I was lost, and the taxi driver, I think, was lost, and I'm seeing parts of Sao Paulo I don't want to see, and fears trying to come against me, and I'm thinking nobody's going to see this little old fat American again. And I began to speak the word of God. And at a certain point, I felt a rest. Nothing had changed, but I knew that everything's going to be all right because I put my trust in him. That's what I'm talking about. Entering into the rest. And that doesn't mean that the circumstances have changed. 
It just means I'm, I know that God's in control. I know that I can trust him. I know that he's not going to let me down. Hebrews 11.6, it says, without faith, it's impossible, not difficult, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Not just that he is, but he's a rewarder. And you see, we diligently seek him. And therefore, we know that we have the rewards. And therefore, because we know we have the rewards, we enter in to the rest that has been made available to us through Christ Jesus. James 2.17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what does this mean? This means when we believe God, our actions are going to line up with it. And that's why the root of sin is not the action. The root of sin is unbelief because if I believe that God is more than enough, I'm not going to yield to whatever that temptation is that's coming my way because the temptation is going to come. If we think that we're never going to be tempted again, we're in a very dangerous place. Because the temptations are going to come, but we can overcome the temptation. But we overcome through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of our testimony. And the word of our testimony is the word of what God has done in our lives through his word. That's our testimony and what Jesus has done. One of my many favorite, favoritest passages in the Bible is 1 John 5, 4 and 5. And it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Hallelujah. I'm born of God. I overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, our belief, our trust, our confidence in the completed works of Jesus. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Who overcomes? The one who believes. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. Therefore, I overcome this world that we live in. When we believe, we're able to overcome what the Bible says are the three enemies that we encounter. The world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not the Father, but is of the world. And so through Jesus Christ, through the Word, we overcome the world, the flesh, and the pride of life, the devil. When we were born again, we became brand new creation in Christ Jesus and the enemy was defeated in our life. But we need to recognize it. Our flesh still tries to ride it up. That's where the temptation comes. But through Christ Jesus, we overcome those temptations that come our way. It's all through Jesus. But recognize the number one tool the enemy uses in our life is to get us to doubt who we are in Christ Jesus because if we begin to doubt who we are in Christ Jesus, we begin to doubt the completed works 
We begin to struggle once again. We begin to try on our own to achieve it. To get it done. To, to do what's already been accomplished for each and every one of us. And so there is a, an area where we need to be determined. We need to work, if you will. And that's to stay in the rest. To be able to say, in spite of all the circumstances around me, none of them can defeat me because I am a child of God. Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You and I, we're in Christ. We're in Jesus. We are the sons of God. And you know what? He's well pleased with each of us. Amen? We put our trust, we put our confidence in him. We're going to close our service this morning by receiving Holy Communion. And it's only appropriate because communion is that time where we're to be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus and everything that Jesus has done for us. And so if I can have the elders and the ushers come forward and start passing out the elements. I want to read to you this morning from the scriptures where, where Paul is given uh, instruction concerning Holy Communion. And you know, this, this instruction is really important because when they would have their communion, they were, they were distracted. They were distracted by a meal that they were eating. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a meal with one another. But that began to be the predominant thing. And so what he says is, you know what? Eat your meals at home. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Eat your meals at home. Be sensitive to one another because they were looking at their own personal needs. Some were overeating and others weren't getting anything. But listen to what he begins to say. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, once again, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done for me. And, and so we look to him. You know, Pastor Becky and I were talking about this last week because we had communion in the church we went to out in Oregon. And then with some of the teaching that she's been given on Monday or Saturday mornings and so forth, we're talking about communion. And both of us were talking about how, you know, I know that this is just simply a, a piece of bread. There's no healing power in a piece of bread. But this body of mine is the body of Christ. And so when I receive the bread, you know, when my body receives it and then digests it, it, it goes to every cell of my body. And so when I receive the bread, I think about it from the standpoint of I am the body of Christ. 
and his body was broken for me. And when I receive his body, he permeates every cell of my being. And therefore, sickness and disease has to leave me. It has no right to me. Now I know that that may not mean anything, but for me it's a visual that I use. To say that this is Christ's body. It enters into my body and it brings healing and wholeness to every cell of my body. And so the body of Christ, which has been broken for you, receive it, that it might make you whole in Jesus' name. Receive it in remembrance of him. And then in Paul's teaching, he talks about the second element. The juice, or the wine. And it says in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. Saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Now listen to the next portion. Verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So let him examine himself. And then it goes on and says, for there are many that are weak and there are those that have died prematurely. And you know, growing up as I did, it was always because we had sin in our lives. But I want, to think, I want you to think about it from the standpoint of what we talked about this morning. We talk about it from the standpoint of sin, but the sin of unbelief of not believing that the broken body of Jesus was enough to bring healing and wholeness into our lives. In not believing that the blood of Jesus was sufficient to wash away every sin. And as a result of that, he says, there's those that are sick. There's those that have gone prematurely. Why? Because they didn't fully believe what Jesus had done for them. The blood of Christ was shed for you to wash away every sin and all the residue of sin, of doubt, guilt, shame. All of that was washed away through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And because we believe that, we receive of this grape juice that represents His blood today because it represents that completed work of Jesus. The blood of Christ which is shed for you, receive it in remembrance of Him. Now, Father, we thank you today for the victory that is ours through Christ Jesus. That no weapon that's been formed against us shall prosper. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
And we overcome this world. We overcome it by faith in your completed works. Jesus, we thank you today for revealing yourself to us. And we pray today that your fullness might become a true reality to each and every one of us. And Father, we'll give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory because it belongs to you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.